You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. This is the start of a new sermon series we're doing. It's called Mission Possible. That was the snappy title that... um, (laughs) Yes, that somebody came up with (laughs) in the preaching club. (laughs) And we are going to be looking at the mission of the church as we see it um, in the book of Acts with um, Paul's three missionary journeys. Um, We're not going to go exhaustively through all of them, much as I'd love to do that, but we're not going to do that. But um, this morning... We're at the start of his first missionary journey. So the scripture is in Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles with you. Beginning at verse 1, and it's just quite a short passage, although I'm going to also jump right to the end of chapter 14, just to uh, um, finish it off, as it were. In the church at Antioch... There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then follows the next two chapters of quite exciting stuff, um, which we will be going into a little bit more next week, I think. Um, That is Keith next week. But then um, at the end of chapter 14, when they have gone all through the island of Cyprus, they've then gone across the sea again, they've had a sort of round tour in Turkey, as we know it today, and then they've come back again Uh, leaving from a a port called Attila. So chapter 14, verse 26. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Well, first of all, let me give you a bit of context. It's never a good idea to try and expound the scripture out of context. You need to know the background of what's going on, otherwise you can go up some gum trees. So the church in Antioch was a very thriving affair. Now, as we, as we know from the beginning of the book of Acts, the church began in Jerusalem, and for a while that was its main sort of um, headquarters, as it were, But then there came a great persecution after the death of Stephen, who was the first martyr, stoned to death, and people were scattered all through the the surrounding countryside and through the surrounding countries. And so actually the gospel began to spread out. And in the beginning, of course, it was very much a case that there was largely a Jewish sect that was growing up. And the gospel was taken first to the Jews, God's ancient people. But then, had not Jesus said to them at the beginning of the book of Acts, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
It's not going to be confined to Jerusalem, not even confined to Judea, or even the Samaritans who were sort of semi-Jewish. Actually, this gospel is for the whole world. And Antioch is the, the next great center that we come to, which actually is the center of where the gospel goes out more and more to the Gentiles. Because when those first ones who were persecuted landed in Antioch, they began to speak not only to the Jews and the Samaritans, but also to the Gentiles. And they began to respond to the gospel, and the church began to grow there, and Gentiles were becoming Christians. Well, they sent Barnabas down from Jerusalem to check this out, and he was thrilled to see what God was doing. And so he went off and found Saul, who, if you remember, had been miraculously converted on the Damascus Road after the death of Stephen and had been commissioned to take the word of God to Gentiles. So he went and found Saul, brought him to Antioch, and the two of them were key figures in that church, which later becomes the first real missionary sending church as opposed to one from which people were driven out. So it's quite, um, it's quite significant to look at how this first missionary journey came about. Saul and Barnabas had just, had just recently come back from, from a trip to Jerusalem taking aid for people who were caught up in a famine. And then they come back here, but you can see that already something is brewing here. This is a very live church, and it has several people in leadership within it, that is a good scriptural model. In scripture, you don't find this model where there's one person up the front doing everything while everybody else watches or maybe makes the tea. Leadership in scripture is always a group affair. There's accountability built in with it. It's not somebody's solo flight. And that, that, is, that is the good scriptural model which you know, from the beginning has always been our vision that leadership is meant to be corporate. So here we have this group of quite an interesting bunch of leaders. We've got obviously Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas came from Cyprus, so when this journey starts, he's going home. But then there's Simeon called Niger. Well, that would imply that Niger is literally the um, Latin word for black. So we've got somebody here who's from North Africa somewhere. We've got Lucius of Cyrene, again. That's a guy from Africa. We've got Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he was right steeped in more Jewish sort of culture. And then, of course, Saul and Barnabas. And this whole church is full of people from all over the place. So it's a very diverse body. And here at the beginning, we get a little glimpse of what its life was like. They were worshipping the Lord and fasting, and then the Holy Spirit said. This is not just the leadership group or the leading person who's worshipping and fasting and hearing something from God. Actually, as a church, as a body, it's a place where they're hearing the Holy Spirit. He's actually speaking. He's actually giving the direction. So if you want to say, so who's actually in charge in this church? He is. It's his church. Who's setting the policy and the agenda? 
he is. And that, that's the kind of the starting point for having a mission is you need to know who's the one whose vision you're carrying. And it's his. But everybody's involved. He actually chooses to work through the church, through his people. The whole purpose of the church is to become a people through whom God can work out his purposes on the earth. That was the original plan, as it's a drum we keep banging here. God planned that this earth should be ruled by people in relationship with him, made in his image, doing it his way, so that his glory fills the whole place. And that purpose has not changed, and we are in part of the recovery process from when it all broke down way back in the beginning. But the plan is that when God's purpose is fully seen on this earth, it will be a place filled with his glory where his will is done through his people in relationship with him. The plan has not changed. And this is what the mission is about. It's about going out into the world to tell them that the decisive victory has been won, that the king is now on the throne, that one day he's coming back. And in the meantime, there is a people being prepared, ready for when this purpose is finally achieved and the kingdom of God comes on earth in our new heavens and new earth. And actually, it's just a slight aside here. I always want to have a theological discussion after that song we just sang. The resurrection has only happened to Jesus so far, not to anybody else. That is still future. That is still what we're waiting for. So, let me um, jump back ahead here. So, They've got this mission, there's this plan. They're going to be going out, taking the gospel across the nations. And we see that God has in mind to send people from this church in Antioch. And if you read the next two chapters, I advise you, when you go home, get your Bible out and read chapters 13 and 14 and see just what was awaiting them on this mission. You'd got occult powers, magicians. You'd got Roman governors wanting to hear the gospel. You'd got pagan peoples thinking that they must be gods because they're actually performing miracles. And so they start trying to worship them. They're proclaiming the gospel in the synagogues and some Jews are responding. Others are really getting their hot under the collar and opposing them. They've got persecutions ahead. And they sort of switch in one place from having, been, having to stop people worshipping them to finding actually that Paul got stoned and carried out as dead from the city. There's a lot of trials and troubles and difficulties ahead. They really need to know what they're doing and they need to be equipped for it. So today we're looking at how God calls and equips people for, the, for this mission how he chooses who he wants to do specific things within his purpose. And here we have this church in Antioch, praying and fasting and worshipping God. 
because the whole lot of them are signed up for this calling. But it says, oh, and incidentally, of those people, they talked about them being prophets and teachers. So you see there's giftings operating there already. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's what the Holy Spirit said. So how did the Holy Spirit say that? In the Old Testament, you know, God sometimes, well, there was a burning bush and a voice coming out of it. Or an angelic visitor came down and spoke. Or somebody had a great vision. All sorts of amazing ways God could speak. But it doesn't tell us here exactly how did that voice come. Did he suddenly take over the tannoy system if they had such a thing? I don't believe so. What we see here is how the Holy Spirit speaks to the church through the church. Now, first of it talks about Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, that implies that Barnabas and Saul had already been hearing something. Somewhere deep in them, the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to go out from Antioch, where you're currently having a nice cozy time teaching and preaching. I want you to go out into some less charted territories and take the gospel there. And that this is beginning to burn in them. And this is one of the things, you know, if God wants particular people to do particular things, first and foremost, they have to hear that call. It's not something that somebody else can sort of dictate to you. There has to be that sense, this is what God is asking me to do. And for every one of us, you know, he's got the particular purpose, the particular piece of the jigsaw puzzle, which is U-shaped. And it's you who has to hear that voice and know that this is what he's calling you to. However, there could be a danger here. And throughout the history of the church, it is a trap that has sometimes been fallen into that you could end up with sort of um, gifted individuals doing their own thing and building their own empires and, you know, running with their own vision, as it were, but without any reference to anybody else or involving anybody else or accountability with anybody else. And that can be very dangerous. And again, if you look through the history of the church, you can see where sometimes things have gone wrong that way. But it also says that there are these people who are prophets and teachers. So actually there are other people who have gifts in which they're actually speaking what God is saying. So it would seem that from the little vision that's beginning to grow in Barnabas and Saul... And, and I think because these two are obviously quite mature Christian men, has therefore been shared with the others with whom they're in partnership and has been submitted for others to comment on, to pray about, to think about, to see if God is saying anything to them too, which might confirm that. We find that actually as they're worshipping and praying and fasting, 
I wonder, were Manaean and um, Lucius and the others, were they also sort of saying, yes, yes, Barnabas and Saul, we're, we're recognizing, we're hearing it too. God is confirming that in us. And what about the congregation as a whole? Because if the whole congregation is there worshiping, praying and fasting, and particularly if they've been called to prayer and fasting, it may well be that it's about this very issue. Who knows? But, it, but before the body, this is laid, and the Holy Spirit is speaking and confirming this to others as well. And I think that is very important. Because these men are going to be going out without any clear notion of what exactly they're letting themselves in for. So it's very important to make sure that this is not just some personal flight of fancy I'm running with. I need to be willing to hear what others give the input with. And it's amazing, you know, when God sort of calls you or, or stirs something to happen, you will find that he speaks to more than one person and that helps to confirm it, helps to make you more sure. Sometimes you'll find people who bring up all the problems and again, as you listen to that or as you even listen to the people who disagree, you will find that somehow the truth begins to emerge and you have a clear picture of what needs to happen if you're one of the people involved in having to do it. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's setting the policy and steering it. We are the ones who are responding. As Matt mentioned earlier, we have to respond to that. But you will find that when you've offered yourself to be led by the Lord, do you know what? He actually leads you. He doesn't say, do my will, but you've got to guess what it is. He actually does show you what he wants you to do. And so here there's this church which has, as a body, has a mission to fulfill. And there's a new stage opening up and a couple of men are being particularly called to take it forward. But the rest are all involved. And they're going to need that kind of support. When they're trying to stone you to death, it's probably quite encouraging to know that this wasn't a big mistake. That I am meant to be here. God is in charge. He does know what he's brought me to. And okay, to quote old Dave Campbell again, he's God, I'm not. We're happy to leave it that way. Or even when you're faced with situations, you think, what on earth am I going to do with this one? Never dealt with a magician before. Or what do I do here when, you know, there's, there's difficulties and trials coming up? And you can think, oh, I've made a mistake. In fact, John Mark, who goes with them on this journey to sort of help, presumably he's the kind of the guy who's doing a lot of the practical stuff along the way for them, he was so scared off after going through Cyprus that he went home. But Barnabas and Saul carried on regardless because they knew what God had told them to do. I'm going to just use a little personal illustration here. I was hoping Clive could find the actual article for me. It was in the Wisbeach Standard 40 years ago, probably this month or next month. And uh, we were in the process of leaving the Salvation Army. And of course, you know, the jungle drums go in a small town. And the Wisbeach Standard were phoning up headquarters to see if they could find a scandal why we were leaving. People were sort of being asked and so on. Eventually, they decided to go to the horse's mouth and they rang us up and asked Clive, so what's, you know, why are you going? What's happening? And um, 
obviously they ran out of inspiration. They actually quoted him word for word. And at the end of the little article it said, Captain Butcher said, we are doing what God has told us to do and we don't yet know what the outcome will be. Well, well, good, they finally quoted him just word for word. But that was the thing. You do what God's telling you to do, what the outcome will be, you have to trust him with that. So here they were, Barnabas and Saul. They've heard it. The church has heard it. And now the church sends them out. It's not a solo mission. The fact that we're part of a body guards us against the sort of individualism that might actually um, lead us up a false trail or something that's just about ourselves. But the fact that you have to hear it individually and that the Holy Spirit really needs to be speaking guards us against the other danger, which is the church just becomes a sort of institution, you know, where committees set the agenda and, and everything's all so nicely programmed that actually the Holy Spirit would have a job to get a word in edgeways. And as, um, as somebody... I can't remember who once said, for some parts of our church, if the Holy Spirit were taken out, nobody would notice any different because everything would just carry on, the machine would run as it always has, the script would be followed and everything would happen and nobody would notice any difference. Well, that is the other danger you can come to where nobody's actually hearing the Holy Spirit because nobody's listening because we've, we've got the program, we've set it. But what we find in scripture is that there's the balance. Every one of us is responsible for hearing what God's saying and responding. But we're also responsible together so that we can keep checks on each other. You know, and if you, if you start running off up a strange pathway, there's going to be people saying, hang on, I don't think this is right. Now, so together, having all heard and, and, and agreed that, yeah, this is what God is saying, they laid hands on them and sent them out. And that laying hands on, it's like, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit telling the church to send them, so the church sends them. And the Holy Spirit sends them through the church. So, you know, the, the two working together. And then we find, and if you read those next two chapters, that the Holy Spirit equips them. He gives them the strength they need. He gives them the wisdom they need. He gives them the power they need, whatever situation they're in, so that actually with confidence and authority they can declare the message they've been sent to declare. And uh, as you find, you know, almost, almost at the beginning, in the very next few, few <coughs> verses, once they've got through the whole of Cyprus and made a bit of a splash and the governor wants to hear them, you find that actually the opposition has got up. And we have this man who's actually a sorcerer trying to dissuade the governor from listening to them. And he ends up temporarily blind because Paul is given the discernment, the insight, the authority to speak what God's saying to him. He says, actually, for a while, you're not going to be able to see anything. You who think you can see into the unseen realms or whatever, and you've got spiritual power. He says, no, actually, your, dark, your light is darkness. 
It's interesting, Saul had experienced that himself. Perhaps he was hoping that maybe Elimas, that sorcerer, might come to that point as well. But you see, he's equipped for what he's got to do. And so actually, the mission is possible. If Jesus has given us a commission to take the gospel into all the world, guess what? All the world is going to hear it. And we are going to be equipped to deliver it. Now, whether you're somebody who's being sent off on a missionary journey or whether you're somebody who's back home in the praying and supporting and, and, the, and the home mission stuff is, is neither here nor there. The important thing is that we are all part of this mission and it is possible and it is going to come about because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He builds it, and through the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us. Now, let me just, yeah. But the key thing is, what Paul says uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2, we have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean I have the mind of Christ or you have the mind of Christ, so you know nobody can, can dispute with me. It means we together have the mind of Christ. When we come together as God's people facing our mission, and we say, what do we do, Lord? He will make it clear through this one, through that one, through the body corporately, until we understand what is the mind of Christ in the situation and are equipped to take that mission forward.